Welcome, everybody. Good morning. It is Saturday morning at 11 a.m., and it's time for the Jupiter Rising show right here on KKNW Alternative Talk Radio. And I don't have a co-host today. I'm going to have one in a couple of weeks, but it's okay. I can do it by myself. I'm good. I can do it. Anyway, I do have my producer here, Mr. Nathan Nathan Miller. God, I can never remember your last name. It's okay. Know. Other shows screw up my name as well, so you're not alone. <laughs> Jeez. I mean, you've only been here for how long now? Uh, maybe eight months now. I mean, it's yeah. been quite a long time. I know it is. Yeah. So a lot of personnel changes during this COVID thing. So anyway, today on the show, we have a wonderful guest. His name is Michelangelo. Nah, that's N-A means no, not, not applicable. He just stuck that at the end of his name on Facebook, and I thought that was something really that meant something, but it cracked me up. Anyway, he's going to be on the show today, and we're going to be talking about the composer Puccini, who uh, was kind of part of the Romantic period, yeah, well, a little bit, kind of right toward the end of 20th century, or not... I don't know what I'm saying, but it's really close. It's kind of a bridge sort of composer between two two eras. Anyway, so we're going to have him on. And um, also, we're going to be doing him, um, Chuck Puccini, as the celebrity of the week this week. So doing double duty. So that's going to be fun. And I just kind of want to make mention real quickly here, you know, no matter what your political affiliation is, I just want to wish... Uh, President Trump the best, you know, um, this this disease that's going on in our country and all over the world is not even remotely fun. It's awful, you know, and so I hope he comes out of it okay, as well as all the rest of the cabinet that have been infected from all this. So anyway, who knows what's going to happen in our country over the next several months. The, the election is one month from today. Isn't that right, Nathan? Uh, yeah, just November very short of it, you know, yeah. one month and one day. Yep, that's right. So um, we don't know what's going to happen. So we just have to have faith that everything's going to work out okay and that we'll all be guided to the right place at the right time. So we try to not pay that much attention to it, but I do. I can't help it. I watch the news. But, you know, um, do your life as best you can. And there's something I said last night on a, on a post on Facebook. Remember the love. I might have to use that as a slogan. I really love that. And remember the love, because that's what we forget sometimes. So anyway, all right. So we're going to have Michelangelo on in just a couple of minutes. And um, we have the Astro News coming up first of the month. That will be interesting. We've got a couple of major planets doing some dancing around out there that we need to talk about. And then we'll obviously have on uh, Michelangelo for the Astro Celebrity of the Week when we do Puccini. Okay, okay. So anyway, we're going to be taking a commercial break really quick right now. And when we get back, we're going to be talking about the Astro News of the Month. This is the Jupiter Rising Show right here on KKNW Alternative Talk Radio. Alternative Talk 1150. We're on your radio at 1150 AM. We're on your HD radio at 98.9 Channel 3. So many ways to listen. We're on the web at 1150kknw.com. Streaming live audio and video as well as MP3 archives of many of our shows. So many ways to listen. And now, we're on your smartphone or tablet. Download our free app in the Apple App Store or Google Play and take Alternative Talk 1150 anywhere you go. So many ways to listen. 
Going against the grain has never been this much fun. Alternative Talk 1150. And that is our theme music for the Astro News of the Month. That's sort of like Neptune previews, but anyway, the music is so amazing. Anyway, so this morning, okay, um, last night I looked at what was going on, and, and I was looking on a certain per- person's page as far as uh, Facebook page or whatever page, and find, trying to find out what was going on, and all of a sudden this thing popped up. It says, Pluto's going direct tomorrow. I went, oh my God, I've got to do the Astro News of the Week or the month. So anyway, this is happening tomorrow morning at 6.30 a.m., Pluto is going direct. Now, you know, that sounds like, what, that is not a big deal. Well, it is a big deal because if you notice the events that have happened this week, kids, they've been been very intense. And it's been, um, I think it's actually asked us to look at our own survival issues, what we need to survive and how we can survive. We may have chaos going on all around us, but somehow if we can find a center point within ourselves, we can keep coming back to that point and finding yourself again, even though it may look like absolute heck around us. So it is happening tomorrow morning. When a planet goes direct, it means the energy that the Pluto has been trying to stifle or to push down, especially when Pluto is retrograde, that means the energy of Pluto is pushed within it's not that observable outside of ourselves, but it's, it's, it's inside and we're dealing with things internally so that we can somehow make sense of them. And then when things go direct, then we have it coming out of the closet and it's going to be making itself known. Well, last week we had stationary, stationary Saturn retrograde went direct over and that was last week. So we are seeing a whole bunch of stuff coming out at that time, a lot of stuff on the government and all that kind of stuff. I mean, it's just really, if you, you know, they say as above, so below. As above, the state, the planets doing that below, we're going to play out those things that those planets represent. So it's sort of like watching a show, actually, watching things lining up in front of us. And going, oh, my God, what about this? Oh, no, not that. Oh, no, not that. You know, and so... Um, between now and tomorrow morning at 6.30 a.m., it will be an interesting thing to watch what happens today because when a planet is stationary, and I keep harping on this because I am writing a book on a stationary planets, a planet stationary is going to quadruple, quintuple, you know, how many times over the energy of the planet. So Pluto is about death and transformation, now some beginnings and endings. So we may find ourselves um, personally, this may be personally, having some sort of thing that you've been putting up with finally releases itself. And then also uh, it, it could be collectively with the government or, or the world or whatever it is that something is going to release itself and become known. Basically, you're taking it out of the subconscious and putting it in the subconscious subcon- mind. When it's direct, it becomes known about. So... This is what we can kind of count on. So between now and 6.30 tomorrow morning, it will be kind of building itself up because the planet is slowing down in the sky and it's about to flip directions. Now, it really doesn't do that. It really doesn't do that. It does it, does it in relationship to Earth's orbit. So um, the energy will get very intense. And that's the middle name or middle word for Pluto. So we can pretty much count on that. Now, the next one, which nobody wants to hear about because everybody hates this, is Mercury going retrograde. Oh, yeah. 
Anyway, Mercury Retrograde is starting on October 13th. That'll be starting at 6.05 p.m. And it goes direct, yeah, we can wait for this, on Election Day. Now, the thing about Mercury, it deals with communications, hanging chads, all those things that are dealing directly with the communication function. So it could be, you know, voting booths and voting scam. And, you know, you can just draw the line to all the rest of that stuff that's been happening. So we can probably tell. And I think part of my prediction is, is that the election will not be decided on the third. It'll be um, later than that. So there's going to be so much confusion about it. But anyway, it starts on October 13th, so we have to watch out. It's going to stay retrograde for three weeks, so it'll be going direct on November 3rd. (laughs) I think it's really going to be fun. So anyway, yeah, um, these two planets are, it would be these two planets, because Pluto is, we're really dealing a lot with Pluto right now, you know, and and the the nature of survival, how we survive, and how we um, also how the heck we actually manifest ourselves um, getting through very hiccup, hiccuping times where everything is changing, changing, changing. We have to kind of adapt to it. That's the thing I love about humans, though. We can sort of adapt to the energies, you know, because if we had looked at what was happening now maybe eight or nine months ago, we couldn't have seen this coming. There's no way we could have seen it coming. So anyway, this is, this is the lessons that we're learning this year And this is what astrologers have been saying for quite a while, that this is going to be a very intense time. So anyway, now we're going to do the Astro Celebrity of the Week. And let me right now just bring on our wonderful guest, Mr. Michelangelo. Now he's going to help me with this. Hi, Michelangelo. Hi, Eileen. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing? Just peachy. It's a nice day here in New York. That's nice. I'm looking forward to getting out a bit later. We are covered with fog here today. I'm sorry. I am too. Yeah, it's it's just a blanket of it out there. You can hardly see through it. So, yeah, but we've had some more burns lately around here, so it's kind of mucking up the air like it did a few weeks ago. But, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but, you know, what That's can right. we do? So, anyway, <laughs> let's talk a little bit about Giacomo Puccini. And he his birth date, by the way, for those people who are interested, is December 22nd. 1858 at 2 a.m. And in, in, how do you say that? Luca, Luca Italia. Luca. It, see, Luca. I, that doesn't look anything like that. That's I'm glad it I is Lucchese. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Italy. Okay. I'll, I'll leave this spelling to you. And yeah. so anyway, we're going to talk about him this hour anyway, but this is a good, pl- good way to launch it with this Astral Celebrity of the Week. So anyway, um, we have to take a, in about another minute, we have to take a break, but we'll just kind of give you an introduction to him. So why don't you start this lovely thing and I'll kind of jump in with you. Sure. Well, we have to give him his full name, of course. I mean, Giacomo Antonio Domenico Michele Secondo Maria Puccini. Wow. (laughs) And I, I, I firmly believe that obviously all of these are homages to his his uh, distinguished musical forebears. Okay. Puccini was the scion of a very distinguished ecclesiastical musical dynasty in Lucca. They had been in extant for 124 years before he was born. So okay. he was th- firmly expected to step into the, you know, the family shoes, if you will, and become a church musician like his distinguished 
goes all the way back to his great grandfather. So all of his uh, ancestors, some of whom, interestingly enough, and we can touch on that after the break, okay. achieved a certain uh, expertise in the area, which he would prove to be a master in time, which of course was opera. Amazing uh, what we inherit from our parents and our relatives, isn't it? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. That's fabulous. Okay, we're going to take a really quick break right now when we get back more with Michelangelo and also Puccini. This is the Jupiter Rising show right here on KKNW Alternative Talk Radio. This is Martha Norwalk. Every Sunday morning, beginning at 9 a.m., thanks in part to AnandaWashington.org, we cover the world of animals. This week, it's Shelter Rescue Sanctuary and anything that helps our animal friends Sunday. We'll check in with Laura at Seattle Dogs Homeless Program, Marilyn at Meow Cat Rescue, and Eileen at Help Animals India. Plus, we'll chat with the Ananda Institute of Living Yoga. All on Martha Norwalk's Animal World, Sunday morning, 9 a.m. to noon, right here on Alternative Talk, a.m. 1150. Working hard to put a smile on your face. Alternative Talk 1150. taken off on that whoa i almost forgot to talk (laughs) oh wow that's now what is that from that's well there's two places that occurs in act one of la bohème the first is in rodolfo's famous aria che geli da mamina which of course has been a tenor showpiece since puccini wrote it Uh Uh, although the uh, now obligatory high c is not actually in the autograph score that was interpolated by later tenors um, okay and uh it also then occurs in the duet uh between Mimi and Rodolfo or Suave Fantula and it's sort of a unifying theme I think for their for their youthful passion throughout the whole opera Puccini very much used we can't really call them Wagnerian leitmotifs but he used themes that were recognizable to uh obviously to introduce and identify yes leitmotifs yeah I know what you're talking about okay there is something uh, that sounds a little bit Wagnerian about his music. I mean, was yeah. that one of his influences? Well, oh, most it... assuredly. That, okay. that whole younger, gen- gen- well, I, I think essentially any serious classical musician that time could not have helped but to be influenced by Wagner, even if it was oh, to yeah. react against him, as yeah. Debussy arguably did. Uh, but that whole younger generation of Italians was thoroughly caught up in the Wagnerian ethos and... Um, and when Puccini first emerged, his first opera, Le Vili, which was written just before his Saturn return, um, oh. was very much sort of Wagnerian in its cast, in that if you had a Teutonic theme, you know, set in Germany, and you had sort of the introduction of supernatural elements, which was not so much in Wagner, but certainly earlier German operas like Weber's Der Freischutz okay. and things of that nature. So he was, Verdi, even though he actually never heard Le Vili, because he he heard that it, that it had an, a notable orchestral uh, okay. aspect to it. He he labeled Puccini a Wagnerian, but he never really was. Okay. 
Yeah, <laughs> young Italians at that time had sort of come to grips with Wagner, and they all arrived at their own different solutions. Some of them right. more openly embraced the whole notion of Wagnerian leitmotifs, and others said, no, no, the voice is the most important thing. Oh, and but so leitmotifs are awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, no question. I mean, they the are. I mean, you can always tell as soon as they play it, oh, we're going to see the next character, this certain character. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So, and of course, when you listen to Wagner, you know, his, his un unbelievable ability to weave these different motifs together in his right. orchestral textures right. is extraordinary. So let me just yeah. explain for those in the audience who don't know what a leitmotif is. It's, it's, a, it's a theme or notes that are associated with a character, entrance or whatever it is. So it's associated with a specific character. So, um, and I, you know, it's, it's not done that much anymore, is it? Not really. Well, I mean, you see, I mean, one of the eternal verities of music is the idea of return. So any composer worth their salt will introduce something that is a recognizable <clears throat> Uh, musical idea that people can identify for themselves because that allows them to sort of organize, I think, the music in their own brains and yeah. they appreciate yeah. the fact that it evolves through time, but there still is this notion of a, of an undercurrent of continuity. And right. how a composer handles those things is obviously clearly indicative of their their skill and their ability. But you know, we don't we don't hear it so much in certainly don't hear it in popular music. We have uh, no. hooks, you know. Uh, <laughs> yeah. We don't even have you know. Uh, verse and chorus anymore in pop music we just have right. hooks you know and uh but yeah i know it's very much a part of the whole mastery of uh absolutely orchestral composition for sure to be able to work with one's yeah themes. and it seems like a light motif i mean if i thinking about all the operas that i went to when i was younger when a certain light motif would be played you knew that um Something about coming home or something, you know, especially if you love that yeah. character and they represent yeah, yeah. something to you and they're going to come back on the stage or whatever they're going to do. Or it's going to be a basically a um, sort of a testimonial to the character because the <laughs> character might have died. So, uh, you know, in a meeting, but it's always a return to a home place. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And it is comforting in that regard because we don't want to be. You know, I mean, I, I think it's part of our, our whole understanding as hearing beings is that we want to be able to have that sense of returning. Um, yes. Yeah. Home, as you put it, and you it's know. comforting to us. Absolutely. Very, very Absolutely. much so. Yeah, I, I just um, yeah, I just remember all the times I've been listening to operas and gone to the operas when I was a, not little, but, you know, in, in my mid years when I was in the opera chorus, I was going to them quite a bit. But um there was just moments in time. I mean, I think about Tristan and Isolde. I mean, talk about, you know, huge yeah. themes in that. The thing is yeah. huge, you know. And, yeah. and right at the end, where she's the Liebestote, which is just so unbelievable to me yeah. to yeah. listen to it. You know, I mean, just it makes me just well up thinking about it. Oh, you know? yeah. Well, yeah. And of course, this whole notion of love and death. Uh, oh, yeah. Which Wagner obviously encapsulated to a remarkable degree. Right. Yeah. is one that preoccupies most composers that, that come after him because they yes. couldn't help but be influenced by Tristan. And, it's such a universal and thing. Is, is, you know, an inextricable part of the psychodramatic landscape of Puccini's operas yes. because he equates love with death in a way that Wagner maybe didn't so much. Right. Know. So which how would you just um, categorize Puccini? Is he a romantic composer? Or 20th century composer, what? Do you, how would you? Well, he's 
So Keynes writing at a time, they say, hailed as the legitimate heir to Verdi by most people, maybe even more popular than Verdi at this yeah, point right. in our history. Uh, but only ever slightly, ever so slightly, I think. Okay. But he's certainly, you know, uh, uh, of a romantic ilk, shall yeah. we say. That's you know? what and I figured. He, I mean, his. But you can hear in his music, you can hear the influence of people like Debussy. You can hear yes. influence later in our operas like Fanchula del West, and to a certain extent in Turandot, the influence of Stravinsky. Um, and uh, I mean, unless I come across as a complete know-it-all to your, your listeners, I just want to say that I've sung most of Puccini's operas okay. as a professional singer and studied them intensively through the years. So right. this, is why, this is why I, I'm offering these perspectives. Okay, but, that's uh, good. Yeah, I, I've sung in uh, the chorus for Turandot. And, yeah, and that must have been quite an experience. Oh, that, yeah. that was pretty amazing, actually. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, I never got uh, to perform for a dot, but uh, yeah, and also Madame Butterfly too. I think I did too. Yeah, so, yeah. Butterfly, yeah. I, I did quite a bit. I never was terribly fond of Pinkerton. He's kind of a creep. Yeah, he's such a twerp. <laughs> yeah, he's a, he's a very callow young man. Yes, you know, very and, selfish. Uh, and of yeah. course, the casual violence that he uh, in, uh, inflicts upon Cho Cho San because of his dalliance with her, and then abandons her, and she firmly believes he's going to come back and, oh. and marry her and legitimize their child, and yeah. and he foists his wife upon her in the in the third yeah. act. Of and of course, Cho Cho San brings the son out that she was pregnant by yeah. by him. I mean, yep. and you talk about yep. shock, shock, shock all the way through it. <laughs> yep. You know. It was yeah. it was terribly um, emotional watching that, and yeah. incredibly emotional to watch that that opera. Um, I oh, think yeah, that's no, really what he had. I mean, look at where his moon is at for God's yeah. sake! Right at the top of the chart in Cancer. It's yeah. all about the feelings, you know, absolutely, and, and generating the feelings out there in the world and the public. You know, yeah, you're absolutely I, right about that. Yeah. I mean, I was thinking about it before we talked. You know, the whole idea that any successful dramatist has to be a master manipulator of people's emotions. You know, yeah. they, we, you know, we don't want to really describe it in such callous terms, but that's simply the truth. Yeah. You know, if yeah. you're going to achieve a certain dramatic effect, you have to be able to tune into the wellsprings of what people are going to feel yes. and, and evoke it through your yeah. Your, and in this case, obviously, your musical treatment, but also your understanding of the niceties of the drama. And Puccini was a master dramatist. There's a very famous quote here, um, which I think I can find, uh, in oh, which he said, oh. talked about the fact that uh, God touched him with his little, little finger and told him to write for the theater. And wow. he said, I, I have obeyed that, wow. that supreme cool. command, right? So he understood uh, that that's what he was supposed to do. Not not initially, because again, he was coming from that church music background and he did for a time actually work as a church musician in Lucca. Right. But once he heard the operas of Verdi, he became convinced that he should become an opera composer. Absolutely. And, uh, that was the end. But yeah, no, absolutely right. That elevated moon absolutely dominates the chart. Yeah. It's in the prime vocational zone, right? So it tells us clearly that this is something that this person should be involved with, the the working with emotions, but also vocationally, moon is about the theater. You know? Yes, and, uh, it is. Yeah. And so have it there very close to the midheaven and ruling the midheaven. Obviously. Right, exactly. And the thing about you said about him becoming a dramatist, you know, at yeah. very early on, Look at where that Saturn and Leo in the tenth. I ain't talking about yeah. drama. <laughs> you know, he really was a master at it. He made a career at it. You know, yeah. Yeah. the more he depth he got into emotions, the better it was for him. And do you suppose? And I'm sure, like most people, 
it would be have to be out of personal experience that he's had with his own emotional things that allowed him to write that type of music. Well, that's where we into... get, into, get into some really interesting ground because... Um, oh, good. We like interesting ground. <laughs> you know, again, if we want to talk about the, um, the, the, the moon dominating the chart, there's a lot of evidence from, from uh, biographical information that Puccini was very much dominated by the feminine in general, but particularly by his mother. He lost his father at the age of five. Okay. And so he grew up, in, like Pavarotti, interesting enough, grew up in a household basically of all women. Okay. Yeah. And so I can you know, see that. I don't wanna, I don't, <laughs> yeah. So I, I don't. Five sisters. Five wow. Sisters, and his mother, who was young and apparently very vibrant, right, and right. still very attractive, and who obviously, as is often the case in these situations, became his most ardent champion. And you know, uh, right, arranging exactly. for just for him to study with the right people and seeing that he got a scholarship at, at one point. But, you know. There's this whole notion of the of the psychological impact of an over overbearing mother upon the psyche of boys, mm-hmm. and how they, on some level, they never really mature. And I think this was certainly the case with Puccini. There's a, again, there's a very telling quote for him that says his passions are hunting, uh, fast cars, and and women. Uh-huh. Now this is not really the the. Uh, confession of a, a terribly mature man you know this is someone who on a number of levels really hasn't grown up right and, and he he married a woman elvira geminiani who had been one of his piano students okay and they carried on this torrid affair for years mm-hmm. uh-huh. and it was only after his mother died that he eloped with her okay so he couldn't surrender his allegiance to mommy while she was still alive and this again this is a pattern we see with these types of pueres uh people like elvis presley right right you're right mary dini jfk jr um they their ultimate allegiance is really to the mother and that really puts a very indelible mark on their psyche you know so oh excuse me i just want to say that with saturn in the 10th and it's ruling the fourth house so yep. you've got both parents involved with a very Saturnian sort of controlling sort of relationship with the child, don't you yeah. think? Yeah. Yeah. And Liz Green you know, tends to associate the 10th with the mother, right? So there yeah. you've got that, that, you know. Especially with uh, cancer at the top, for sure it would be the mother, sure. Yeah. yeah. You know, that authoritarian Saturn in the 10th. Right. right. So, yeah. And, uh, and of course the moon right up there kind of with it. So it's sort of, you know, it's. It's playing off of that moon, too, I would think. Yeah, 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 no, absolutely. Yeah. And, of course, what's opposing it? Mercury retrograde. Mercury retrograde. Oh, well. Right. So, oh, like so, Rachmaninoff. Oh, so they're not talking to each other. <laughs> right. right. Like Rachmaninoff, here we have another gentleman who, again, I can't speak authorita- authoritatively about his feeling, you know, of, of, of not being able to speak his truth um, as a child, but I rather suspect Again, the overbearing weight of the tradition of that church music um, career, which was his, you know, his right. legacy. Right. Yeah. Probably I at some point he would have felt like he couldn't really say what he wanted. Right. So, yes, so there's that great talking. Right. Okay. So, okay. We got to take another quick break. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Go ahead. And, and when we get back, we're going to talk some more about Fuccina. You see, the, get, the deeper we get into him, he's getting interesting, folks. So anyway, we'll be taking a break here, and this is the Jupiter Rising Show right here on KKNW Alternative Talk Radio.
And this is a barrel full of monkeys productions with Matt Shea. This is fun. Matt has a, started a new venture, the Barrel Full of Monkeys Productions, which is a collection of Matt's writings in mini audiobook form. The first book is out right now, and it's only five dollars. There's a bunch of us that did this, and we had a good time doing it. And you can order at mattsheabooks.net. In the meantime, you can browse Matt's updated and redesigned website. And now there's a free audiobook at the site, besides the other stuff. It's by, called Judge Wong. So Matt would love to hear from you and promise to answer any or all that contact him. You can write to him at his personal email address at workinmat 7 at AOL.com. And don't forget his website at www.mattsheabooks.net. On Friday, Manson Mitchell welcomed back Garnet Schulhauser from Victoria, B.C. for what we call a little metaphysical Q&A. On Saturday, Kelly Sullivan Walden, the dream doctor, shows how dreams take us step by step on a hero's journey. Bringing you fascinating talk one hour at a time since 2007. We are Manson Mitchell, Friday and Saturday mornings at 10 on Alternative Talk, AM 1150. Real people, real life, real radio. Alternative Talk, 1150. just can't remember what that's from. Michelangelo, what's that from again? Cabra Dossi's aria E Lucevan Le Stelle from Act 3 of Tosca, sung it many times. Oh, thank you. Um, And um, of course, he is has been sentenced to die by firing squad by the nefarious Baron Scarpia, who lusts after his paramour Tosca. She's been led to believe that it's a fake execution. Uh, And of course, she's already killed Scarpia at the end of Act 2. So, uh, she doesn't know that he's put this plot into effect. She oh. thinks it's going to be a fake execution, but Scarpia has instructed his minions to make it the real thing. Ooh. So uh, this is Pavarotti's, uh, sorry, uh, this is a uh, uh, you know, sort of last uh, poetic out- outburst, if you will, uh, before uh, the ine- inevitable occurs. And this is an interesting thing about Puccini is this notion that Love and death are very much equated in his mind. And what we see more or less consistently, I mean, there are some exceptions, but more or less consistently throughout his entire oeuvre is this idea that love must inevitably be paid for by death. And it usually happens to heroines, uh, people like Mimi, and obviously again, Chocho-san, who commits suicide at the end of Butterfly, and uh, and Liu, who commits suicide at the, you know, toward the end of Turandot, and all these types oh, of wow. things. So there's this, this lo- love and death in a very different very different from Wagner. Wagner, yes. Yeah, Wagner's way more dramatic about it. But Yeah, the whole this... transcendent notion of love, death, which we see in Wagner, is not part of Puccini. And I think this is a representation of his flawed psyche, is this idea that, because in his mind, love, that we're really talking here now, sexual love, and we have to point out the fact that he did marry an, a domineering woman, Elvira Gemignani, who has said who was his piano student, and he cheated on her all the time. Oh, 
Bad with all these famous divas. Um, okay. Most of the names won't mean anything to the audience, so I won't right. burden them, but he was always unfaithful. And again, this isn't something unique to Puccini, but there was, again, there's a certain psychopathy about all of it. Um, well, and, you know, uh, if you look at this, okay, I'm yeah. looking at his chart. I was seeing the love-death thing, which is Pluto in the seventh house, and that's Sesqua squaring Venus. So yep. that's like huge, like one thing after another. He can't get away from that thing. It's yep. almost an obsession yep. for him, the love-death thing. So, yep. uh, but also the other thing is that um, his idealization of the perfect feminine form, which is a Venus square Neptune, you yep. know, and there's a Venus retrograde again. I mean, that yep. just those are just going to amplify those things in him. Yeah, and see, of course, to me, Venus and Saggi is the sexual adventurer. Oh, right. this, of course it would be. Yes, who, uh, Mile High Club, except there wouldn't have been a Mile High at that time. Yeah, yeah, Mile High Club, absolutely. Yeah, yeah absolutely. right, you know. Yeah. No airplanes, yeah. though, but what the heck, yeah. you know. Now, the little quote that I <laughs> that I, I meant to read to you before, it's like, here it is. It says, uh, he said, I am a mighty hunter of wild, foul, operatic libretti and attractive women. So oh, that's not perfect. That's, That's not going to Sagittarius talking. I don't know what he is. I don't know either. I mean, <laughs> this is truly, that's, yeah. that's called, let's have an adventure. You know? Yeah, it's, yeah. And, it's, and it's very cavalier, and it's very, forgive me for saying it, it's very immature. But, yeah. you know, this, uh, sadly, this is not an uncommon thing in men who otherwise seem to be adults. Yeah. Um, there is a strong heroic need to be that hero, the conquering hero. You know, yeah, it yeah, seems to yeah. be. And of course, he identified to a remarkable degree with his his male protagonist. That's the other thing. Right. Um, uh, right. Uh, exactly. I, you know, I believe I, I tried to verify this um, on the Internet, but I believe Puccini was a baritone with a fairly pleasing voice. And so when he would play through his new operas for people, he would sing the parts. So, oh. Yeah. So but I rather suspect he might have been a tenor without high notes. But that's oh, just he was very own. good looking and, you know, oh, really Libra rising. Yeah. Make him very, very dashing, very. And of course, once he had all that money, you know, how could women resist him? Oh, you know? oh uh, yeah. I mean, and he had what he had this uh, what they call the povera faccia. I don't know if you heard that in connection. No, with I this. haven't. What is that? Well, he he has uh, he had sort of droopy eyelids. Yes, he and, did. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And so this there's this slightly lugubrious melancholy look to him although from an astrological perspective he's not really melancholic and temperate he's more sanguine but there's this there's this uh and arguably you might say those are bedroom eyes right the whole right uh, yeah i would say that too look. yeah but, but you know Fonche, sorry go ahead I, what what i'd say about those droopy eyes the first thing i did when i looked at the picture i said he's really neptunian look at those eyes yeah. you know yeah. like droopy yeah. eyes and kind of like you know hangdog expression but yeah. it's more of a kind of a faraway look in his eyes. You know, that's Neptunian to me, you know. Yeah, absolutely. And addicted to, you know, obviously to sex. Uh, well, but also, yeah. uh, you know, he eventually died from complications of throat cancer because he smoked. Okay. Uh, and, um, and various other things. You know? Yeah, but so Pluto very, in the very... seventh house, that could be very obsessive about women. Oh, yeah. 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 That yeah, could. but Poeta Faccia also describes his his characteristic melodies. I don't know if the, the audience would be able to discern it, but they all they all have sort of this uh, constantly falling off, you know. Yeah. They, and uh, this also is is used to describe his uh, his and really the things that make them in many ways so poignant and so powerfully melancholic is this whole Poeta Faccia notion. Um, so yeah. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean that's. Um... How tall was he? Do you know? I don't know right off the 
top of my head, but I, he looks like he was probably fairly tall. Yeah, like he looked like he was to me, tall. too. Yeah, yeah, I was wondering. I know that Rachmaninoff was really tall, about six foot yeah, six. Yeah, Rachmaninoff, some people say six six feet six inches. I don't yeah, think Puccini that was, was really probably something. that tall. So. The other interesting thing about Puccini, apropos of all these romantic entanglements, was that he actually had something happen in his personal life, which could have been a plot out of one of his operas. Oh, which do we have time to discuss that? Of maybe? course we do. Yeah, so yeah. I, was, I was going to jump onto the next well, subject anyway. So that's good. So in the waning days of his Chiron return, ah, yes, right around uh, fifty-two, there was a young maid working in the Puccini household in the mansion in Torre del Lago, which is where he ended up living, um, named Doria Manfredi, and his wife Elvira, who was, of course, I think, all too aware that he was cheating on her all the time, but oh, such is the nature of codependence. Right. Um, and uh, obviously, you know, the bankroll associated with the, the extremely wealthy composer um, began to accuse Doria Manfredi of having an affair with her husband. She made her life a living hell. She even threatened to drown her at one point. Oh. And uh, the poor girl was so mortified by this that she committed suicide. Oh, man. Okay. Uh, that's not out of Puccini's operas. I don't know what is. Yeah, boy, he she could write a whole a very, opera around that one. <laughs> yeah, she, she drank a very powerful corrosive substance and died three days later from what we would call mercury poisoning. Oh. Right? And, oh, hey. Yeah. Okay. But you, at the inquest, there was a demand for a postmortem, and they found out that contrary to Elvira's accusations, she was Virgo intacta. She was a virgin. She was a virgin. His yeah. wife was a virgin. No, not his wife. The, oh, the, the girl Doria Manfredi. The, okay. Who she accused of of uh, cheating with her husband. Okay. The story gets even more convoluted in that Puccini, again, the inveterate womanizer, mm -hmm. always had affairs with his women when he was writing his operas, oh. and he referred to his affairs as his little gardens. <laughs> looking his for his inspiration yeah. yes yeah his, you know his little gardens right so he wasn't having an affair with doria manfredi but he was at that time having a, an affair with her cousin oh. julia manfredi oh gosh and, <laughs> yeah and this was leading up to fanchula which for my money is his masterpiece okay for me fanchula even more than turandot but you know uh -huh. uh, everybody's got their own taste yeah um, but he was having an affair with Julia Manfredi. And in fact, there's a lot of evidence to suggest that she bore him a child out of wedlock. Oh. Uh, and this has come to light in recent years. But so all of this is happening against the backdrop of him trying to write Fanchula del West. And nobody was really sure where he got the whole notion of the heroine of, of Fanchula del West, because she's a little different than the the seamstress Mimi or the poor geisha butterfly or, you know, Mano I mean, it's, it's set in the United States, for God's sake. You set know, in the United it's about States, Wild it's, West. Yeah, you know? it's based on a, a play of David Belasco, who, interestingly enough, also wrote the play that Madame Butterfly was written. Okay. was uh, inspired by and it, yes it's set in the uh, cascade mountains of Cali california okay. in, in in the mining regions right so it's very rough and ready you know you basically have you know and the woman minnie is a saloon keeper right okay and, uh, so she's very different you know she's gun toting she's kind of annie oakley type and everybody's <laughs> like where did where did puccini get the notion to uh you know bring this woman to life and yeah. it's We've since found out that it was, in fact, Julia Manfredi who embodied many of the qualities of, of Minnie that he used as his inspiration okay. for Okay, so that makes yeah. sense. So, so yeah. what he was doing was writing operas at the time he was seeing women, and they were all inspirations for characters in his movie. I mean, yeah. in his, his uh, you know, 
is musical. Yeah. <laughs> no, art, opera. <laughs> art imitating life. As yes, just a bit. But in the case of Doria Manfredi, it was really life imitating art. Okay. Right? It, they said you could really take that. There is a little movie out about it. I think it's in Italian called Puccini and the Girl, which talks about this period and his his uh, affair with Julia Manfredi and the whole inspiration wow. for Fun Trilla Del West. Yeah. That's but just... this all happened right around his Chiron return. And of course, where is Chiron? In the fourth, right? Of course, yes. You know, semi semi sextile Venus. So there's the there's the uh, dysfunction, if you will, of the relationships. Of course, Venus yes. retrograde as well, right? Yes, and, yeah. Uh, the the dysfunctions between the mother and and also relationships. So they're one's connected to the other. So yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's uh, interesting because yeah, it's you know, it seems like we always are condemned to keep repeating the past. Yeah, you know, as, yeah, as long as we yeah. haven't dealt with it, well, it keeps showing up. So, well, this is the interesting thing about Puccini too, is that in Torandot, and again, you know, you know, tell me if I'm getting too far off the topic. No, you're but great. in Torandot you have two female protagonists. Okay, that's unusual in and of itself because there's usually almost only one right. heroine. Right. But here we have two. We have the princess Torandot, who is really the the embodiment or the epitome, if you will, of the unavailable feminine. Right. So let's think about that in psychological terms. What's the unavailable feminine to a young boy? His mother, right? His mother, At least right. Actually, right. And the right. whole specter of incest that that underlies that, right? Right. But so we have turned out, but then we have the slave girl, Liu, who, of course, is in love with Kalaf secretly. Okay. Kalaf, of course, is the tenor. So once again, he's the fill-in for Puccini himself. Okay, and, and the hero. in the course of Turandot, Puccini attempts, although he fails, according to most people, to make Turandot into a flesh and blood woman. Right? He died. He'd sketched out the end of the opera, but he basically died before he could finish the opera. He died after the suicide of Liu. He put down his pen and that was it. And oh. then he died not long thereafter. So he really attempted to resolve this conflict between like overriding moon, right? Yeah. I mean, this was Which an is, existential, course, was his... uh, iconic thing within him. You yeah. know, obviously a a past life or whatever thing that he had to resolve when he incarnated yeah. here and he didn't yeah. quite make it. So. No, he couldn't quite manage it. And that's the thing. But, you know, he had Liu and he treated Liu with all the wonderful affection and, and, and care and love that he treated all his heroines. But he really had it hoped, I think, in some intellectual level to be able to make Turandot into right. an object of love. And he doesn't really succeed. He doesn't you know? succeed. Um, Interesting. And of course, okay. he died before he could do it. Someone else actually had to finish the opera. Right. Yeah, so. Okay. Now we got to yeah. take another break. That's this is so yeah. interesting. I tell you, it means so much than anything you read. So anyway, uh, we will take a break right now. This is the Jupiter Rising Show right here on KKNW Alternative Talk Radio. And this is a live read for Susan Bergstrom at the Medicare Exchange. Medicare coverage is a very important and confusing issue as we near retirement, largely because Medicare it does not cover 100% of your medical costs, only about 80%. That means we will need affordable supplemental coverage that will take care of that 20%. Susan Bergstrom can help you get the best coverage. With her, the process is really easy, and in the end, she's going to save you money. So open enrollment is coming up. Now, if you don't know about an open enrollment, that means that for the next couple of months from October 15th to January 7th, December 7th, that means you can opt to get into your very favorite uh, medical coverage plan 
and sign up to do that. So usually they're not open, but right now this coming up, it's going to be open. So uh, if you need to roll for Medicare or you want to change your existing coverage, you can do so during the open enrollment period. Contact Susan today to set up your appointment. She will set you up. So if you need more information, call Susan at 253-318-9379 or email her at sbergstrom at americanseniorbenefits.com. Self-help, healing, spirituality, and more on Alternative Talk, 1150. Now, that sounds like Madam Butterfly to me. Is that Madam nope, Butterfly? No, nope, nope, that's Fanchula Del West. That's, oh. the tenor, that's the tenor Dick Johnson's farewell aria. I guess and we were say. just talking about that opera. Yeah. Wow, that's just really good planning. That's yeah, great. Yeah, that's Bella Micreda. And uh, very, uh, one of the, I mean, Fanchula is a really very forward-looking opera to my way of thinking. I said even more so than Torndot, which admittedly in many ways is a masterpiece. Yeah. Uh, but there's, you know, the arias aren't so, um, you know, what's the word I would use? They're not so easily excerptable as some of the other uh, more traditional pieces. But but Kelemikreda is a self-contained lament. And okay. of course, this was where Puccini excelled, was in the lament. All of his beloved characters, whether they be tenor or soprano, right? At some point, in the extremity of emotion, give forth with these extraordinary laments. And Kelly Micreda is certainly one of them. You know, you, we can talk about butterflies. Uh, yes. You know, uh, at the end of, uh, you know, Butterfly or Mimi, obviously. And uh, there is this outwelling of emotion that yeah. I think in many ways stems from his reluctance to let go. And obviously, particularly with the women, because really he kills them all, more or yeah. less. Right, uh, uh, but also in this case with with Dick Johnson renouncing his love for Minnie because he's about to be hanged by the nefarious Jack Ranch, the sheriff right. of the town, and the assembled miners. Now, the paradoxical thing about Fanchula is that nobody dies in Fanchula. Nobody dies. Not not in the way they do in Tosca. In Tosca, Cavaradossi, Tosca, and Scarpia are all dead by the end of the opera. Oh, that's well, in Fanchula, that's usually... Minnie gets to ride off into the sunset. Okay. Admittedly into exile if you will that's the but western way to, to do dying <laughs> sorry what's that that's the western way to do dying is right off yeah, into the right. sunset as you know obviously symbolically the west is the undying land yeah it is symbolic with death but, that's interesting uh, but and of course having again performed fanchula you literally ride off stage on horseback at right. the end of fanchula. dick johnson and and Minnie ride off into the sunset you know so but nobody dies in fanchula Okay. Right. So yeah. this is this is the paradoxical thing about it, and and, and it's not the only one. Um, nobody dies in Johnny Skeeky either, except except of course Poser Donati at the beginning. But nobody okay. dies in Johnny Skeeky. But even though Minnie is, re- and again she's really the reflection of the real life Julia Manfredi, who mm-hmm. or yeah. Puccini a child out of wedlock, supposedly. Mm-hmm. She gets to live. Now, maybe that has something to do with Belasco's original story. I don't know. But for whatever reason, she gets to live and she gets to ride off with the man that she loves. And, okay. Um, 
So there you go. So and, interesting. Uh, so yeah. which was, Turandot was his last opera, right? Very last, yeah. He was unsuccessful okay. in, in completing it. All yeah. right. And the Fontula del West, or Girl of the Golden West in, yeah. in English, um, yeah. that was, to me, a most unusual topic to pick because almost everything else was based on sacred texts, basically. Of Most operas were written that way about something that was from the past in their country. But this is, well, did he live here for a while? I can't remember if he did. Well, his son, Michele, lived in California for a while, if I okay. remember. Okay. Oh. I think that was it. But this was a part of the trends of romanticism in music was the attraction to the exotic, right? So if we yeah. look at Puccini again, we have the, the whole chinoiserie of Turandot, and we have the, you oh, know, yeah. the Japan setting of butterflies. So the, the American West was also considered very exotic. Very European. exotic because it was so yeah. unusual. I mean, it's a whole new type of thread of topic or that yeah. that was, or you know, a dramatic topic that was done rather than something that's sacred type of thing. This, yeah. is, this is just like everyday people. But, yeah. you yeah. know, um, I just find it, when I first heard about it, I thought, oh, that, you know, I thought, well, maybe he lived later, you know, because, yeah. you know, he's, but he kind of did, kind of. But yeah. anyway, um, I just thought it was kind of interesting for him to pick that topic to write about. Yeah. 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 So, um, yeah. Okay. This is just really super, inter- just amazing to me because this just breaks out, you know, it breaks out the chart quite a bit, yeah. you know, just looking at a chart go, well, it could be like this, could be like that. And, you know, and then you find out the way he really lived his life and it really fit. It really yeah, did just, fit. Yeah. I mean, you look at them first and you think, hmm, how does this really relate? But then as you you delve into the into the uh, you know the intricacies of it. You begin, yeah. really begin to the uh, uh, yeah I've, because you know the way he was with women is very interesting. You know, oh, yeah. and, and of course with everything else in his chart, it, it looks like an interesting paradox in his life. <laughs> be going one way or the other or type type of thing, and it yeah. also be well, something it'd be focused quite a bit on. So. Well, I mean, you know, of course, with Italian men, and again, I'm not wanting to devolve into cliche, but I think there's a certain truth to this, that there is the idea that, you know, the wife is for child rearing, right? Yeah. But then they have their affairs. So in that sense, Puccini's not that remarkable. No. You know, uh, but still it was, it was the degree, I think. And and again, it, yeah. as you can see how this, this mother fixation in his subconscious plays out in the fact that he feels sufficiently guilty about illicit love that yeah. in his the pieces that he makes his hallmark, he has to kill off the heroine every time. Right? Yeah, he can't that's tough to do yeah. that because he's killing yeah. off a part of himself, too. Exactly right. Yeah. And he has to endure this again and again and again. And wow. even though Puccini isn't of melancholic temperament, he uh-uh. apparently went into real deep funks. Yeah, I would bet he did. I was looking at his chart for for depression. Not really. It's more of a mental depression than anything else with his Mercury opposing the moon. You know, that elevated Saturn, too, might have a lot to do with it. Oh, Um, yeah, that's probably true, too. So it came down through the family somehow. Yeah. 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 So that makes sense. Well, this is the interesting thing about that, too, is the whole idea. And I don't know how you feel about yodes. I mean, but I was. Oh, I believe in them because I've got a couple of them in my chart. So. Yeah, I got one too. And there's an interesting note here between Sun at 29 Sagi, which is interesting. I, I, I think of that as being poised between the ecclesiastical world represented by Sagittarius right. and, and the temporal world represented by Capricorn. So there's his 29 degree Sagittarius Sun saying, okay, 
in this life, he's going to move away from that, the right. world of the church towards something profane. Right. Right. In the best sense. Yeah. He's and leaving course, that behind because the 29th degree. So. Yeah, and, then, and then sextile, of course, Mars at 29 cap. I'm oh, sorry, 29 Aquarius. And then they're both in conjunct the midheaven. And I think to myself, aha, to me, this is the idea that, because it said he did have ancestors who wrote for the theater, right? right. His, his father had, had achieved no, no small reputation in Italy prior to his death. And he wrote a couple of operas and, and another ancestor wrote another opera. But clearly his his destiny this time around was to reconcile those, you know, seemingly conflicting ideas and bring it to the public, you know, yeah. in the form of That makes opera. total sense. It makes yeah. complete total sense. Amazing. Our journeys really can show, really show on yeah. in a chart and you know to and take it to the nth degree you know how is that playing out for him how's that working for you type of thing so yeah it's it's just fascinating well michael angel we've had a great show today thank you for being on you You're know very welcome you, my dear well i'll <laughs> tell you we're going to do this like every six weeks or so i think okay because there's so many composers to get to there's so many that i love and i would love yeah. to do gustav holst as somebody that oh, i would sure well i'm yeah, I've done a lot of work with Holst. So oh, that's, good. That's We're going to do him next because right. I absolutely <laughs> love the planet suite. I love it. I love it. I love it. And yeah, you, know, you and me both. <laughs> yeah, I play part of it in the, you know, our, our playing. I know. Our I, I, I mean, I'm curious. I mean, Jupiter rising. Do you have Jupiter rising? <laughs> yes, right. I have Jupiter on my midheaven. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, but, you know, the Jupiter movement is a part of the show. So, you yeah. know, and I absolutely adore that suite. It's fantastic. Oh, so, yeah, it's great. It really is. So next time we'll do Gustav Holst. Thank you so much. I love it. I love it. I've been staring at his chart a lot lately. So anyway, anyway, (laughs) so thank you. Well, my dear. Thank you so much for being on today. This was a great show. Thank you so much. It was an immense pleasure as always. Okay. Thank you. Talk to you again soon. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Wow. That was good. Okay. So anyway, what's going on right now is that Burr's restaurant has opened. Yay. Don't know when I'm going to go back there and start reading again. They want to change it. So the next phase of reopening will probably be when I do it. So anyway, we're excited. I was I ate there on Thursday and I was so excited to be there. So um, anyway, um, the contact information that you can get from us is EileenGrimes.com is where I am. And JupiterRisingShow.com is the show page. And um, Michelangelo's website is www.michelangelo.com. M I C H E L A N G E L O dash medical astrology dot US. Okay, so that's his e- that is his website. So, okay, so coming next week we have on astrologer Chris Fisher. He's from New York, or actually he's from Boston area. So he's going to be on. We're going to be probably talking about the election. God knows there's enough going on with that. And then the following week, really excited because the writer, John O'Dowd, is going to be on. He's going to be talking about his book, Barbara Payton. He's got two books out on Barbara Payton, the biography and also a picture book. But he's got some new developments going on with that. He's trying to get it made into a miniseries on Netflix. So it's very exciting. And we're going to be talking to him about that. He's a really good friend of mine, so we're really excited. So anyway, that's it for us today. We had a wonderful show with Michelangelo, and I definitely want to repeat this kind of show because this is so awesome to learn so much about people with astrology. So I hope you all have a better week than last week, and I'm going to have a good week here too. This is the Jupiter Rising Show right here on KKNW Alternative Talk Radio.